thought it was on. Look at that. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. Good to see you all this morning. Glad you've survived losing an hour of sleep, at least so far. We'll see how the rest of the morning goes. Um, but welcome once again. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us or if you're, you're tuning in online this Daylight Savings Day, um, welcome. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor. I'm glad to, to join with you all this morning in worship. Uh, as we get started, just, uh, if you want to take a look at your bulletins or uh, our website, come to shoreline.com. Just a few things to make you aware of. Uh, the first is that this is the last week for the Garfield collection. We're collecting supplies for, uh, for Garfield Elementary School. So uh, all items are due next Sunday. So you have one week to, to bring things in, put it at the, the back table out there uh, in the foyer. Uh, so that's this. Also, just a reminder that uh, we're planning for our ambassador soccer camp this summer. The camp is going to take place uh, on the 18th to the 22nd. It's going to be for kids ages 6 to 14. And if you're interested in hosting a coach, hosting a coach, we'll host them from the 16th to the 23rd of July. Um, and we have in our church center app, we have online, we have out at the back table, just some spaces for you to sign up for all the different uh, ways of volunteering for that uh, opportunity this summer with soccer camp. And then finally, our last announcement is just this, starting this Wednesday, uh, our Bible study and prayer meeting that's been happening every other Wednesday. That is moving to an every week schedule. So starting this Wednesday, you can come every week, Wednesday nights at 7, uh, and join in in a Bible study and prayer meeting led by uh, Russ Kinnebrew. Uh, so that'll be starting up here this Wednesday at 7 in the Sunday School Classroom. Um, so as we continue on, prepare hearts for worship. Please just bow with me in the quiet of our own hearts in prayer to prepare our hearts for what we'll be doing together this morning. psalmist writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And Father, that's our prayer this morning as we enter into worship, as we uh, prepare our hearts for, for Easter in the coming weeks, and as we think about what it means to, to gather in your presence as your body is your people, Lord. We pray that you'll be uh, merciful towards us. You'll have mercy on us according to your steadfast love, that according to your abundant mercy, you'll blot out our transgressions. You'll forgive us for our sins, and you'll uh, make us new in Christ. Lord, you'll wash us thoroughly from our, our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin, not because we are worthy of it, not because we deserve it, not because we have cleaned ourselves up, but because you offer and you have purchased and you have accomplished a cleansing, a redemption, a restoration in Christ that we could never accomplish on our own. So pour out your mercy upon us this morning. Help us to worship you in response to your grace, your steadfast love, your glory revealed in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Sway, he then is all my hope. 
Amen. Well, uh, just as we continue on this morning, uh, another announcement that we shared uh, in our email this week, uh, something that we've been praying for as part of our, our goals for the year. Back in our annual meeting in January, uh, we laid out three goals. Yeah, you can come up. Uh, we laid out three goals for our church family by the grace of God, three prayerful goals. Uh, and one of them was to grow in our music ministry. And one way we were seeking to do that was by finding a worship, a part-time worship resident to add to our team. So we started the search process in January, and by the grace of God, uh, last week we extended an invitation to A.J. Coy uh, to come on as our worship resident for this year. So, A.J., I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself here. Um, so maybe just tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, and then how did you come to know Christ? Anything else you wanted to say yeah. about just introducing yourself, about the basics? Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. so uh, as Chris said, I'm A.J. Coy. That's not my given name, it's Andrew James. Um, but yeah, so I come from a family of four. I have an older sister who is married to, uh, to a guy named Malachi, so a great biblical name there. We love that. Um, my parents, Mike and Kelly, they, um, they had been attending Parkside Church since before I was born. They were serving there on the praise team, um, so I was already familiar with, um, I guess, praise and worship from a young age, um, and then I came along, and my mom had to kind of stop doing that so she could help take care of me and my sister. So, uh, but my dad continued with that, and it was, it was really cool to see him up on stage every Sunday. Um, so I guess um, how I came to faith is, my, my life is kind of a story of God's grace and, how, and him showing me that he's in control and not me. So um, from a young age, I was exposed to the gospel, and um, stories of the Bible, and I was definitely like a, the kind of kid who knew all the Bible stories, had some verses memorized in the back of my pocket, um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, pro I professed faith as a, as a young kid, but never really kind of believed what um, I was saying or, or didn't really understand what it, what it all meant, um, and so all throughout high school, middle school and high school, um, I was kind of leading like a double life, um, so I, you know, I went to public school, so I tried my best to blend in with those kids and follow the crowd, and that got me into some sinful habits that, uh, that I really didn't like, but I decided to live on with them anyways. Um, but then at church, you know, I kind of flipped flip sides and um, put on a completely different face and was basically a, a completely different person. Um, it was a little strange looking back at that time, um, just literally leaving, leading two lives. Um, but by the grace of God... Um, I got accepted into Cedar, Cedarville University for college, um, and through the, the faithful leadership and friendships that I found there, um, I, was, I was led to Christ kind of um, through a gradual process. It wasn't really like one big aha moment um, that I can think of, but uh, it was just kind of a, the, the Lord, Lord worked in my heart, and um, it's really amazing kind of to see how far I've come since then. I still have a long way to go, but um, yeah, so that's kind of my testimony. Since then, he's been sanctifying me and working in my heart evermore. That's really, uh, that's really good for me to hear, Matt. That's kind of risky of us hiring a, a guy who graduated from Cedarville. Yeah, imagine. That. <laughs> that's why I graduated from um, Just in case, yeah. Um, we also, just so you know, we don't only exclusively hire people. <laughs> that's, that's just how God works it out. Jen didn't grow up Parkside or graduate from Cedarville, so, so there's only one of us who's normal, um, right? So maybe tell us a little bit about AJ, your uh, experience just with music ministry, leading worship, worship ministry, music stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I um, obviously my my dad being a big part of worship at Parkside was he was definitely a role model in that aspect, um, and I. Hadn't really tried anything when it comes to, when it came to worship until I got to Cedarville and I got plugged into a really good church down there that had a very strong worship team um, and a good worship pastor. Um, I started learning guitar when I was a sophomore at Cedarville. We went on a vacation to Italy and Spain, and the flat that we were staying at in Rome had a guitar in it, and so. I had a Green Day song stuck in my head, um, and so I was like, I picked it up, and I was like, I'm going to learn how to play this song, taught myself how to play the song on that guitar, and I was hooked, and so I've been self-taught ever since, and my junior year, I got the opportunity alongside my roommate, um, who is a big reason for, um, 
why I'm here today. Um, we got a chance to lead worship at that church down there, and from that day on, it was something that in the back of my mind, I said, this is something I could see myself doing long term. And so um, we got to help with worship there every couple of weeks. It was a really big team, so like I really only got to serve once a month on that team. But um, since graduating from Cedarville, um, I got asked to help out with the youth group at Parkside. And the middle school ministry in particular was lacking worship in any, in any capacity. So my sister, who had already been serving there, said, hey, you should join as a, as a leader and then also lead a worship team. So that's what I did. <laughs> and so um, I had been doing that since August, and that's been a tremendous blessing, getting to lead those kids and also a team of leaders. And recently we had started incorporating some more middle schoolers into that team. So that has been a tremendous blessing. And uh, here I am. Cool. That's awesome. And just for your context, so you know, the, the way we got in touch with AJ was, you know, we were networking, looking for a resident, and I sent an email to uh, Ruth Drigemeyer, who's the director of music over at Parkside, and uh, actually shares an, an office with AJ's mom, Kelly, who's the children's director at Parkside. So she very easily passed that along to Kelly, and AJ reached out to us. And so it's just cool, just, I think, to celebrate, you know, similar ways that God brought me here, how he brought Adam here before, how he's brought you know, AJ here and others, just to remember and think of his sovereignty, his grace, and how he provides through just our shared friends, our shared friends in the kingdom, our shared brothers and sisters in Christ and partners in the gospel. So that's really encouraging. Um, you mentioned your roommate. Are there any other influences, in, major influences in your life, spiritually, musically? You got your roommate, you got Green Day, <laughs> right? You got Cedarville, you got Parkside. Probably not as much Green Day. Probably not as much. But... Okay. But yeah, yeah. who are some other musical influences, spiritual influences in your life? I would say, um, yeah, I mean, my roommate is definitely the biggest impact on my life. Um, he was a, um, uh, an MDiv major there, so he did a, there's a five-year track, uh, Masters of Divinity, and he went on to be an associate pastor at that church that we went to down there, so he's there now. Uh, my dad, a little cheesy, I know that's kind of a cliche answer, you know, my dad, but um, no, actually, he really was... Um, definitely a huge influence on my life and just kind of how um, just him being an example was was huge for me um, but also just the the people on the worship team at Parkside um, the the worship pastor at the church down where um, I went to at Cedarville um, definitely big influences there personally I would say less less than personally people who have influenced my life like through music Phil Wickham and Shane and Shane are two of my favorites um, I know you guys have done a little bit of that here um, with them. So they're phenomenal artists, very, very good songwriters, um, biblical, which I think is most important when it comes to songwriting, which I have a tremendous amount of respect for them because writing biblically accurate songs is very difficult. I tried once, I've tried, I've tried a few times and I've only got it once and it was still like, it's still a work in progress. So. Um, yeah, the Phil, Phil Wickham, Shane and Shane are definitely, those are, those are people that I was introduced to down at Cedarville. Um, so a lot of the music from Cedarville and from the people that I got to know at Cedarville has been a huge influence on me. That's really cool. That's yeah. Awesome. Any other interests, hobbies outside of music, stuff like that? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I love sports. I will play any sport. I will talk about any sport. If you come talk to me about sports, I, I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The two sports that I'm into most right now are disc golf and volleyball, um, but I was also a golfer in high school, so I love talking about golf as well. Um, but yeah, really any sport, um, and uh, board games as well. My uh, my uh, brother-in-law is a big board game nerd, and so he got me into that recently. I'm hooked on it, so I'll come, I'll play basically any board game out there now because of him. Um, and then chess as well, chess, which is technically a board game, I guess, but. I recently got into a chess, so if there's anybody out there that's good at chess, I'm sure you could smoke me, but I'd love to play you. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, this should be an easy question because you grew up in Twinsburg, right? But, like, Cleveland sports teams, oh, feel yeah. good about them? Yeah, okay. I mean, they're all terrible, but I love them all. Yeah, see, that's, so. that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. You hear that, Jim? Yeah, got it. Jim, yeah, see, AJ gets it. Um, that's why we hired him. No. <laughs> the only reason? That's good. No, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Don't say that here. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, just so you guys know, we said this in the email, we've said this before, but just to kind of remind, just remind us all about how this residency works, how we've set it up by the grace of God, is 
Uh, AJ will start out with us for, for a year, God willing, on Sundays and, and doing other stuff during the week. And then uh, after that first year, we'll, we'll have a, a time of review and checking in and seeing where things are at. And at that point, we'll, we'll, as elders, we'll, and with, along with AJ, we'll determine if we want to renew the residency for another year, if we want to expand the residency to a full-time pastoral position, if God brings that growth and that awareness of a calling on AJ's life. And at that point, if we did make that decision, we would have a uh, congregational vote of the members. Um, or the third option is we might decide to take what uh, my boss at Charlotte used to call the gracious off-ramp, which is, hey, this has been a great year. We've all served and learned and grown together, but maybe, you know, and it seems like God's will for AJ to move on and go serve somewhere else or, or whatever for the kingdom. So those are kind of the three avenues this might take, but AJ, we're really excited for first year. God willing. We'll see what happens, and, and we're just we're really excited because uh, we're really appreciative of AJ coming to invest in us as a church. But we're also excited for the opportunity to uh, invest in AJ and give him the chance to be involved in music ministry, other areas of ministry, um, to help discern a calling on his life uh, for potential full-time pastoral worship ministry or what uh, God might have. So, however this works out over this next year or beyond, we're excited because we feel like this is God growing His kingdom. This is God growing us as a church. It's growing AJ as a follower of Christ. It's all for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory. Um, so just, I thought it'd be good just to pray. Uh, so I'll pray for us just to thank God for what he's doing and what he's doing in his kingdom. So let's pray. Well, gracious Father, we thank you for how you worked to uh, bring AJ here. And we thank you for this opportunity we have for uh, at least this next year and, and maybe beyond that to, to serve together, to uh, invest in your people together, to worship together. Um, so help us, Lord, prepare us for uh, what you have for us as a church uh, this next season, and help us as we seek to gather each Sunday to worship you, to praise you, Lord. Help us to do so in humility. Help us to do so according to your word. Help us to do so um, centered on you and not on ourselves. And help us in that this morning as we continue to praise you, as we continue to sing. But we pray that you'll equip AJ, you'll uh, work in his heart, you'll prepare him for this ministry you have for him here. You help us to come alongside him, to encourage him and uh, welcome him and serve with him. And we just pray for fruitfulness in his ministry, um, fruitfulness in our ministry together as a church family and our worship for you, and our worship of you this morning, Lord, that it'll produce fruit in our hearts for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, all right, AJ, you can have a seat and I'm going to invite the kids to come on up. It's uh, time for our catechism this week, so... We'll get started here. Come on up, have a seat. I like it. I like sharing the stage with all these young people this morning. This is good. This is good for my safety here. All right. Welcome, guys. How's your week going? Good? Good. good. Did you like seeing the snow this morning or no snow? No. No? You're done with snow? I'm kind of done with snow, too. I'm ready for spring. I don't know what's going on here. So to start off this morning, I have a question for you. I want to I will show you guys something. I have something on my hand. Do you know what that is? The watch, but no, up here on my finger. What do you think oh, that is? A ring. Yeah, this is it's my wrist. Yeah, a ring, right? What kind of ring do you think this is? A wedding ring. A gold ring? Not gold. It is a wedding ring. Yes, exactly. It's a wedding ring. It's my wedding ring from when Laura and I got married almost ten years ago. It's not gold. It's actually a material called tungsten carbide, which is like the most unbreakable material you can get. Like if something happens to my hand and I break my hand, they have to cut my finger off to get the ring off. So that's dangerous. Um, I also I got this ring for like 20 bucks on Amazon. In case any of you guys are out there worried about losing your rings, hey, if you lose it, just order a new one. Great, great deal. So this is my wedding ring. Now, when, now what is important about a wedding ring? What do you know about weddings? What happens when somebody gets married? Yes. They kiss on the lips. That does happen. That has been known to happen. Yes, very good. Uh, what, do, what, is the, what does a wedding symbolize? What are we talking about when people are getting married? Do they like each other or not usually? Yeah. Yes, because they're kissing on the lips apparently, so that, hopefully that means they like each other. Um, right? Usually when we talk about a wedding, that's two people who are coming together who've uh, most of the time chosen one another and are committing to be united together as husband and wife. Um, and that's a picture we see in marriage, but that picture of marriage actually points us to a picture in the Bible, a picture of Christ's relationship with his people. And I wanted to bring that picture up because... Our catechism question this morning is this. We're on question number 27. It says this, Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? 
So we've been talking about these last few weeks how Jesus has come to save us. He's come to rescue us, to be our redeemer. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so we could be brought into his family. But this question asks is because Jesus died for our sins, does that mean everybody is just automatically saved, automatically forgiven? They, everybody gets to go to heaven because Jesus died? How does, how does a person actually uh, take hold of this salvation in Christ that he brings? And the answer is that no, only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. So what this means is that Jesus died on the cross. He, he died and he rose again for us. But that doesn't mean that anybody is just automatically saved no matter what. What that means is that those who receive that salvation are those who have been chosen by God and who've been united to Christ by faith, right? And so in order to be saved, in order to receive the salvation that Jesus brings, uh, that only happens in our hearts if God chooses us, if he works in us, and it only happens when we trust in Jesus and we're united to Jesus by faith. So just like a married couple, they choose one another, and they choose to be united together, and that's what makes them a couple. That's what makes them married, what makes them one flesh. The same way in Christ, because of what he's done for us, it's only when he chooses us, because he works in his grace towards us in, in our hearts, to lead us to trust in him, to believe in him, to be united to him by faith, that we can receive this salvation. So the salvation is available to anybody who believes, but in order to believe it, we have to trust in Jesus. We have to be united with him by faith, by placing our confidence in him. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So think about that. Next time you're at a wedding, it's not just about people kissing on the lips. It's a bigger picture of how God has chosen us and united us in Christ through faith. And it's a time to think about, do you have, do you have uh, faith in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ by faith? Are you united to him and married to Jesus in that way? So let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for um, these kids, for this picture you've given us in your word of, of Christ in the church, of uh, this, this picture that marriage symbolizes. And we thank you that you, in your grace you choose anyone, Lord. The fact that you would choose to call any sinners is a miracle, is uh, a total act of your grace. So we thank you for that gift. And we ask that you'll help us to praise you in response. You'll help us to understand what that means. And if there are those of us who haven't yet been united with you, uh, through faith in Christ, we pray that this morning will be the morning. Uh, through hearing these songs, through hearing your word, uh, that will come, they'll come to faith in Christ, Lord, that we'll choose to uh, be united with you through faith to receive the redemption, the salvation that, that you give us by your grace, that you call us to um, in your mercy and in your steadfast love. So help us now to praise you in response to these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, we'll stand and sing another song, and then... Kids can go back to Children's Church with Ms. Martin. Son of God is tricky. 
this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him so spirit come put strength in every stride give grace for every Please turn in your Bibles to Mark, chapter 6, verse 45. <clears throat> Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but... When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Father, we have confessed our sins and asked for forgiveness and faithfulness from your faithfulness and Ask that our lives be cleansed by the shed blood of Christ, Father, that we might come into your holy presence and listen to your holy word. We thank you for your love and mercy and grace in sending Jesus to come and to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that we might be forgiven. And he was raised from the dead, that we might be justified and that we can walk in newness of life. Father, we just come with praise and thanksgiving. And as we listen now to your word, as Pastor Chris preaches, May we listen and listen with the intent to obey because it's you who are speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Dave. Well, as I uh, mentioned earlier, I went to 
Cedarville, graduated from Cedarville University. Um, and one thing about Cedarville is it's a, you know, small, it's just, it's a small campus all in one place. So everybody kind of walks everywhere at Cedarville, which uh, is, mo is fine most of the time, except as AJ probably knows too, except in the middle of winter, right? You're walking everywhere on campus in the middle of snow and ice. And uh, what's unique about Cedarville is Cedarville is uh, built in a very flat part of the state of Ohio. You know, there's a lot of flat parts in the state of Ohio, but uh, the area where Cedarville is is particularly flat. And there's a big uh, man-made lake in the center of campus. So what happens in the winter as you're walking around is uh, as the wind picks up and uh, blows over the lake before it freezes, you get these just these bitter cold gusts of winds that start to you know go through the different buildings and create kind of these massive wind tunnels as you're walking around campus. I remember one day going to class and feeling almost like I could like lean against the wind and it would hold me up. It was so strong and it was so powerful. Well, as we look at the end of Mark chapter 6 this morning, uh, we see the disciples also facing uh, oppressive and challenging winds. We see them coming up against uh, winds that seem to be heeding their progress. And in doing so, we see that their issue isn't just their progress physically along the Sea of Galilee. Their issue is their, is their progress spiritually in their understanding of Christ. These winds reveal that, and they also show us here as we go along in this section of Mark, we also see a crowd of people who have been buffeted and bruised by the winds of affliction. And as we look at these uh, two parts of the story, these two scenes in the midst of all of this, we see the powerful presence of Christ who displays his sovereign power over creation in order to bring the healing and peace of his presence. And so as we go through this text this morning, we'll see that even when we face the bitter, debilitating winds of affliction, we can trust in the powerful presence of Christ. That's our theme, our, our big idea, our main thought for this morning, that when facing the winds of affliction, trust in the powerful presence of Christ. We'll examine that this morning by looking at two aspects of this story. First, the sovereign power of Christ, and then secondly, the healing presence of Christ. So first, the sovereign power of Christ. Because Mark, he, he gets right into it in his typical fast-paced way here in verse 45. He tells us that immediately after feeding the 5,000, uh, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And we read this, and at first we might wonder, after such an amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people, which we looked at last week, uh, why would Jesus shoo his disciples away so fast? Why would he be so quick to want to get his disciples out of there and disperse the crowd? And Mark doesn't give us a clear answer uh, on why exactly Jesus does this, but if you look at one of the other gospel accounts, if you look at the Gospel of John, in his account of the feeding of the 5,000, we read in John 6, 14 and 15, that after Jesus carried out this miracle, after all were fed, that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, according to John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, that after this miracle, this act of power that Jesus did, it stirred up uh, a sort of messianic fervor in the crowd. This crowd of people, they've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for God's promised king, his promised ruler who would come and rescue God's people, who would come and defeat God's enemy, enemies. And for the, the Jews at this time, their biggest enemy, their biggest oppressor was the Roman Empire. And so they were looking for a Messiah, but in their minds, the Messiah was a, would have been a political or revolutionary ruler. That's the expectation they had of somebody who would come in and overthrow things politically, who would come in and, and take over and restore the kingdom of Israel and overthrow the Roman oppressors. That's the kind of Messiah that the crowd was looking for. And when they become aware of Jesus' power, John tells us that they want to make him this king by force. But Jesus knows this, their hearts, he sees this, and so with this context, we can understand why Jesus does what he does in Mark. 
we can understand why he quickly chews away the disciples, why he dismisses the crowd, why he withdraws into, uh, uh, onto the mountainside to pray. Because Jesus was not interested in becoming a political or earthly revolutionary. As a commentator, William Lane puts it, Jesus refused to be the warrior messiah of popular expectations. So he didn't allow himself to get caught up in the fervor of the crowd. Instead, he sent away his disciples to escape that fervor. Instead, he withdrew onto a mountainside to pray because he wasn't going to go along with their agenda. He had something much bigger planned. And what this shows us is that the plan of God the Father in Christ is far greater than any earthly or political or social revolution. It's the kingdom that Christ came to establish is far greater than any earthly kingdom or power. And so as we go through Mark, we've continually seen this, this pattern of Jesus where he rejects a political messiahship. And instead, he withdraws from the crowds. He withdraws and he prays to rest in the will of his Father, not in the will of the crowd. And so as a side note for us this morning, as we go through this passage, it's important for us to see here that the will of God is not determined or defined by the will of a crowd. That God's will, it's not constrained by any political agenda, whether it's a conservative agenda or a liberal agenda. That his plan is far greater, far greater than anything you'll see on Fox News or CNN or TikTok or YouTube. His plans are far greater. His purposes are far grander. And so as believers, as believers, we must be careful. We must be careful who we are allowing to speak into our lives. We must be careful who we are allowing to tell us what God's will is, what God's agenda is, what following God looks like in a fallen world. We have to be so careful. We have to ask ourselves, are we following the will of God as revealed from the Father in Scripture? Or are we following the will of some crowd? Are we following the will of some political or cultural or human movement? Is our understanding of God's will, is it coming from his word? Or is it coming from a voice on cable news or on the internet or across the dinner table? Whose word are we listening to? Are we trusting in the will of the Father or the will of the crowd? It's just a side note. That's just something to think about here. Because as Jesus was navigating these winds, these winds of messianic expectations, the disciples, they were navigating their own challenging winds, their own very literal challenging winds on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had sent them off, and by the time evening came, uh, the winds were blowing on the Sea of Galilee, and, and they were making slow progress. They were making headway painfully. And Jesus, who's still on land, he, he sees this, and he decides to go out to his disciples, and he decides to go out walking on the water. And so I want you to imagine the scene if you're one of Jesus' disciples. Imagine that you're on the boat. These powerful winds are buffeting your boat, buffeting all around you. It's late at night. It's around 3 in the morning. And you see a figure walking towards you on the water. What would you think? How would you respond? Because the disciples see this and they're freaked out. The disciples see this and they're terrified. They cry out because they see Jesus walking towards them and they think he's a ghost. They think he's some kind of water spirit. And this might sound silly to us today reading it, especially if we're familiar with this story. We have the context of hearing it from Mark, but uh, for the disciples in that moment, for these kind of people uh, living in an ancient context, in an ancient culture, this kind of response would have been reasonable. Because they were living in a time and in a culture where the sea, uh, the sea was seen as a ferocious, treacherous, even willful thing. And so the idea of spirits on the water, especially at night, that was a, a common superstition. And it reflected a common fear that people had about the hostility, the ferociousness of the sea, of water that could destroy you. And so there's a lot of cultural superstition that would have led the disciples in their humanity to make this assumption when they see Jesus, to assume that he's a ghost or that he's a hostile spirit. And so they cry out in their humanity. They cry out. They're 
terrified. And in his grace, in his compassion, Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't come down hard on them. He doesn't drop the hammer on them. Mark tells us again, immediately, without hesitation, Jesus says to them, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then he gets into the boat with his disciples. He just steps right into the boat and the winds cease. And now where have we heard that before? Of Jesus doing something that caused the winds to cease, that caused the water to calm. Well, we heard it two chapters ago in Mark chapter 4. In the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Once again, Jesus is displaying, he is showing his authority over creation. His authority even over the hostility of the waters. And yet when the disciples see this, they see that the wind has calmed. They're not amazed. They're not full of joy. Mark tells us that they're astounded. They're bewildered. They're afraid. Mark writes, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. And it's interesting here how Mark, he, he links the, the disciples' astonishment about Jesus walking on the water. He links it back to the account of the feeding of the 5,000. He says they are astounded because they did not understand about the loaves. They didn't understand the message Jesus was trying to communicate when he miraculously fed 5,000 men. And Mark is pointing us to the fact that Jesus' miracles, they weren't just meant to amaze. These weren't party tricks. These weren't magic tricks. These weren't just meant to amaze or to shock. They were meant to reveal. They were meant to reveal. They were meant to teach us something, meant to help us learn something. You can think about it this way. All of us in this room, we have different learning styles, right? Some of us are visual learners. We learn by seeing. Some of us are auditory learners. We learn by what we hear. Some of us are tactile learners, right? We have to touch and experience things to, to learn them, to understand them. And Jesus, in his compassion, in his condescension, what he's doing in his miracles throughout the Gospels is he is giving, in particular, his disciples impossible, impossible, miraculous things to see and hear and touch. And by doing so, he is trying to help them learn something. He's trying to teach or reveal something to them. He's trying to reveal to them a greater truth behind the miracles, a greater truth about his authority and his identity. And so it's no accident here that in Mark's gospel, he records two miracles of Jesus that take place on the water. Because throughout the Bible, water is something that God uses to display his power and authority over creation again and again. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, uh, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that the earth was formless and without void, but that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in the account of Noah later in Genesis, we read about how God used a flood to destroy the earth. He used water as a form of judgment for sin. And we can move on to the book of Exodus and see how when God delivered his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, he parted the waters of the Red Sea to deliver them from Pharaoh's army. And then in the wilderness, as they were wandering for 40 years, God provided water from the rock to feed his people. And when they finally entered the promised land, he parted the waters of the Jordan so that they could enter in. And so again and again, we can find even more examples throughout the Old Testament of God as the creator of the universe, using his creation, using water, to show the, his sovereignty, to show his care, to provide or protect his people, to judge sin, because he is sovereign over creation. And so by recording Jesus' authority to calm the storm in chapter 4, to walk on water in chapter 6, what Mark is doing is he's directly linking back to these familiar stories in the Old Testament, to these other accounts of God in his sovereign power ruling over water ruling over creation, using these things to protect his people, to judge sin, to display his authority. Jesus is trying to get us to see in these miracles that just as God displayed his sovereign authority over creation in the past, now in Christ he has once again come down to display his sovereign authority, 
his sovereign power over creation, even over parts of creation that are hostile, that are full of affliction, that are full of trouble. So the same God who overruled the waters of creation calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The same God who created uh, everything out of nothing, he multiplied five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men. The same God who parted the sea to deliver his people, he calmed, he walked on the sea to comfort his disciples, to calm the wind. And so in carrying out these miracles, what Jesus is doing, what he's trying to teach us, what he's trying to teach his disciples, is that he has the same sovereign power, the same authority as God himself. Because he himself is God. He is the Son of God, God in human flesh. And so as we go throughout Mark's narrative, we're meant to track the disciples' progress in understanding this revelation. We're meant to follow along to see them hear, see, taste, touch the miracles of Jesus. And we're meant to wonder, are they getting it yet? Do they see it yet? Do they know the truth about Jesus that he's revealing in these miracles? And by focusing then on the disciples' progress, Mark, what he's doing is he's forcing us to ask the same question of ourselves. He's asking us, do we get it yet? Do we understand it yet? When we read about the miracles of Jesus, are we coming to know the truth about his authority and his identity? As you read Mark's gospel, is his true power, his true sovereignty, his true identity as God's son, is it becoming clear to you? Is it being made known to you? Are you understanding it? Are you coming to know him as not just a man, not just a teacher, but as God in human flesh who can do things that only God can do? Are you coming to know that, or is your heart still hard like the disciples? Are you still bewildered, still astounded, still confused? What is your response when you read these stories of Jesus' authority, of his sovereignty, of his power? Because the truly astounding truth in this miracle, the truly astounding truth of Mark's gospel is that the sovereign God who possesses power over all creation, he took on flesh in order to be present with us, in order to bring us peace and healing in himself. Even those of us who are battered by the winds of affliction. And so this brings us then from the sovereign power of Christ to secondly, the healing presence of Christ. Because here at the end of chapter 6, Mark, he closes this section in his gospel with a summary of Christ's healing ministry in the region of Gennesaret. Because the disciples, they had meant to set out, they had meant to, set out to Bethsaida, but it seems the wind uh, blew them so off course that they ended up going farther south onto the other side into the region of Gennesaret. But even in this region, Jesus was well known for his healing ministry in Capernaum and other places. And so like fans receiving a surprise visit from their favorite athlete, these people, they run and spread the news that Jesus is on the scene. They run around and they flock to Jesus and they bring their sick on their beds to come and be healed. Mark tells us that uh, wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they may touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. See, that just as the disciples had been struggling against the winds on the Sea of Galilee, these, the crowds here in Gennesaret, they were struggling against the bitter winds of affliction, of sickness and frailty and brokenness. And just as Christ's presence in the boat calmed the winds on the sea, so his presence with the crowd it brings peace and healing to the sick and the afflicted. Jesus' power was so well known by them that they begged him just to touch the fringe of his garment, just to touch the edge of his clothing and be made well. And Mark tells us that his presence was so powerful that merely touching the fringe of Jesus' clothing healed people. It restored them. That's how powerful, that's how restorative his presence was. You could just reach out and touch his garment and be healed. And so here we have a contrast at the end of chapter 6 between the disciples and the crowd. Because the disciples, they were afflicted. They were struggling against the debilitating winds of affliction on the Sea of Galilee. 
And in his compassion, Jesus, he came to them, just as he came to the crowd here. Mark tells us in verse 48 that when Jesus came to them, he meant to pass by them. That's a really interesting little phrase there. He meant to pass by them. Because at first when we read it, it almost sounds like Jesus meant to pass them by. He meant to go on ahead of them. He meant to ignore them. But if you actually dig into the uh, original language behind that phrase, it seems, it seems that the, it's likely that the original sense of this phrase actually was more of less of passing by them, and it meant more of passing their way. Jesus meant to go and pass their way on the sea. In saying Jesus meant to pass by them, Mark is writing that Jesus, he intentionally meant to pass their way. He meant to come by or near to the disciples. As they struggled against the winds, as they were afflicted by the waves, Jesus meant to come near to them. In the midst of their affliction, Jesus, he compassionately displayed his sovereign power in order to come near to his disciples, to comfort them to tell them to take heart, to tell them not to be afraid. But instead of responding with trust or with joy, the disciples were astonished. They were afraid. They were fearful because they did not yet understand the miraculous truth that in Christ, God has compassionately worked in his sovereign power to come and be present with those in affliction. That in Christ, the creator of the universe has come to be present in the midst of a people who are suffering from the hostility and brokenness of creation. And the disciples, they were astounded by this. They were confused by this. But the crowds, they had a different response. Now, they may not have fully understood Jesus' mission or fully understood his teaching, uh, they were aware that in the arrival of Jesus, a powerful presence had come into their midst who could bring healing and restoration. And so they run to Jesus and they reach out to Jesus with what one commentator referred to as the touch of faith. They reached out to him with a touch of faith and just touched the fringe of his garment, knowing, believing that it would bring healing. And so this contrast then between the disciples who are astounded and the crowds who reach out in faith to Jesus to heal them, this contrast sets up a question for us. And this question is that as we face the bitter, debilitating winds of affliction, whether that's the affliction of a fallen world, the affliction of our own sin and temptation, of our own personal circumstances or loss, as we face the winds of our own affliction, will we trust in the one who has come to be powerfully present in the affliction of his people? As you read of Jesus' sovereign power, of his healing presence here, is your heart hard and confused like the disciples? Or is your heart desperate and receptive like the crowd? Have you too reached out to Jesus with a touch of faith? Have you looked to him as your only hope in the midst of the storm. Because yes, God, he doesn't promise to deliver us from our painful circumstances the same way that he delivered the disciples, the same way that he delivered the crowds. He doesn't promise to take us out of our circumstances. But he does promise that in Christ, there is a greater healing from our ultimate affliction. In Christ, true healing can be found from our true and greatest affliction. Because in his compassion, Jesus came not just to be present in the midst of our affliction. In, in his compassion, in his grace, Jesus came to bear our ultimate affliction upon himself. To take our ultimate affliction, our ultimate suffering on himself on the cross. Because what Jesus did is on the cross... We see that the one who has ultimate power over all things, he came and died in weakness. He came and gave himself up in order to bear in himself the ultimate affliction of God's wrath, God's judgment for our sins. He bore our suffering so that in him we can try find true peace with God, so that in him we can find true healing and restoration. We can be brought from death to life spiritually. And if you see that, if you read Mark's gospel and you come to see that, you come to see how far Christ went 
to be present with you in your affliction, to take your ultimate affliction, your ultimate suffering upon himself. If you come to see how much he loves you, that he went that far for you, that he took that on for you. If you come to see that, if you come to rest in that, to place your confidence in that, then you can trust in his powerful presence to bring you peace and healing, not just from your afflictions, but in your afflictions. You can have a greater hope, a greater security, that no matter what storm, what winds, what afflictions you're facing, you can have hope, you can have security, because you have true healing, true peace in Christ. Because he took our ultimate affliction, our ultimate death upon himself. He bore the storm for us. And he rose again so that in him we can be held secure eternally. No matter what afflictions, no matter what storms uh, bear up against us in this life. And so, as we face the winds of affliction in this life, we can trust in the powerful presence of Christ, who took our greatest affliction to bring us our ultimate healing. The question is, to where will you go? To whom will you look when you are facing the winds of affliction, when the storm is raging around you? In thinking about this question, I was reminded of the story of Charles Spurgeon's uh, conversion to Christianity. Spurgeon is a famous uh, 19th century English uh, preacher, um, and Spurgeon himself was no stranger to affliction. Throughout his life, he struggled with many different ailments and tragedies and frailties, along with an intense, ongoing struggle with depression. But as Spurgeon, as he records in his autobiography, when he was 15 years old, he, like the disciples, was caught in a storm. He was caught in a, in a, sto- in a snowstorm in England, and he took shelter from the bitter winds in a small Methodist church, small Methodist chapel. And there were probably about 15 or so people in the chapel. But the pastor, he was preaching on Isaiah 45, 22, which reads in the KJV, says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. So Spurgeon, he takes shelter from a storm in a church with about 15 people in it, which I think there's more than 15 people in here, so you never know. The next Charles Spurgeon might be in this room right now, Right? So he takes shelter and he hears this sermon and at one point the preacher, he looks directly at the young Spurgeon and he says to him, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon, he did look to Christ and he was saved. And for the next 40 years, through personal struggles, through tragedies, through afflictions, through pandemics, through depression, the next 40 years, he preached this same message to thousands of people. Look to Christ. Look and live. And with Spurgeon, when he died, his casket, it was driven through the streets of London. And on top of his casket was placed an open Bible uh, that was open to Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Even in his death, even in his funeral, this was the message he was proclaiming to people. Look to Christ and live. And this is the message for us this morning. Whatever storm you are facing, whatever winds are buffeting your life, look to Christ. You have nothing to do but look and live. Because he has come in his sovereign power to bring healing in his presence. He walks out on the waters of affliction and he compassionately calls out to his own. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for examples like Spurgeon, for for those who have gone before us to call us to look Christ, Lord. Help us to do that now, today, this week, whatever we're facing, whatever struggles, whatever winds are blowing around, Lord. Help us not to just be astonished or astounded in them, but help us to look to your sovereignty, to look to how you have powerfully worked in Christ to bring us a greater healing than we could ever ask for or imagine. 
We thank you that you are a God who didn't abandon us in our affliction, who didn't leave us lost and alone, who didn't leave us out in the cold, but that you sent your Son to take on flesh, to be present in our affliction, to take our ultimate affliction upon himself so that we might know your compassion, we might be restored, we may have peace with you, we may have ultimate healing. Let that be our hope, let that be our bedrock personally as a church as we face the storms of affliction around us. Help us to trust in the powerful presence of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing one final song with us. like to talk more about anything we've shared if you're struggling with your own afflictions and challenges and want somebody to talk to or feel like you need help turning your eyes to Jesus looking to Christ uh, I'd love to talk with you Dave our elder uh, Russ uh, Jim Jim our other elders we'd love to, to talk with you and pray with you um, and thank you again for joining us this morning hopefully you don't have to rush off if you want to uh, say hi to AJ he'll be around make sure you introduce yourself give him that good old Weymouth welcome right
I love alliterating Weymouth with other W words, in case you haven't noticed. Um, but thank you again for joining us. Um, we're excited for all that God is doing here and what he has, what he has next. But as we go, uh, please just remain standing for a word of benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout every generation, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.